Andy Salman has been in the entertainment business for over 15 years. His first job out of school after graduating from Winona State University was as on-air producer at ESPN Radio. He then transitioned to TV with Hubbard Broadcasting, and after several successful years in sports, entertainment, and live broadcast at ABC, ESPN Radio, and Fox Sports, he then crossed over into the entertainment sector as a marketing and creative executive, and now he produces, finances, and distributes projects for both TV and film. We're talking with him today about a company that he co-founded with Genevieve Thiers called Entertainment. It's a Web3 company. It's really interesting, and I love the way they share revenue with their creatives. I've got lots of questions about it, and I'm sure you do too. Stay tuned. We'll be interviewing AJ Salmon shortly. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. AJ, thank you for being here today. This is awesome. I've been thinking about this for a while, ever since I met Genevieve last year. And I think what you guys are doing over at Entertainment is amazing. So I just wanted for our audience to just talk about what is entertainment? Who is it for? Where is it? Tell us just briefly a little bit about it. And then I want to get into your production background so I can brag about you a bit and everybody will know why you're so eminently qualified to be doing this. Okay. So what's entertainment? First, thanks for having having me here. I'm excited. Uh, you know, similarly, once you know, when we first met, uh, it was just kind of like two old souls just you know talking in the backyard, having some sweet tea, um, yeah. telling stories. So, uh, really appreciate that. And yeah, entertainment is you know, a really afford looking platform that looks to break down the wall between fan and creator. I think you're seeing right now with the strike. Obviously, there's a lot of strife between the creator and the studio. You know, mostly the writers and the actors. And what we look to do is, you know, take out that middleman and let, you know, a, a filmmaker or a a writer, whether it's a book, a comic, uh, an IP, a game, any IP you have that you look to create and you want to bring out into this world, you know, you don't have to ask for permission. You know, if you can build a community and you have fans, why should you have to, you know, one take years and years and years to find your way around the gatekeepers just to get told no, or just to get told, yeah, we like this, but then it will sit on the shelf because, you know, there's too much risk in officially passing and having it go on to another studio and be a hit. So they won't actually say no. Um, So the platform, you know, what it is is on the front end, kind of a Kickstarter ish type marketplace where you can place your IP, cultivate fans and, you know, build your audience to help, Tell your story, whatever that is, you know, a film, a TV, you know, whether it's books. And, and we do that utilizing blockchain technology, uh, but it really is, you know, like that Kickstarter support program. And um, we go all the way through on the back end. We have a, uh, a fully functional OTT streaming platform that allows you to do a subscription or free view or a transactional rental or purchase. We also have live streaming. It is really a very comprehensive platform, and we're a little new though. We we just got started this year. We launched the the code live on the on the blockchain Ethereum chain in um, 
I think January, and we're just coming out of beta here in a few uh, few weeks. So we'll open up the doors to let creators come on, and and we're starting to accept uh, projects onto the platform for distribution as well. And we're just kind of excited. I think, unfortunately, with the strike, you know, it's been really hard for writers and, and actors who are you know sitting at home not doing anything. But I think it also shines a light on why a platform like entertainment is important because it just provides a an opportunity for you to control your own fate. You know, if you have a community, if you have a fandom, and if you have a phenomenal idea that can cultivate that, and you can move your your community, then you know the really the controls in your hands. It's no longer in you know some distant studio that has you know a, a different agenda, which which may be a stock price versus you know uh, your show that could be very popular, but because of tax advantages or escalating residuals, you get canceled. Uh, exactly be, uh, completely beyond your control and yeah. then they may still own your ip rights and you're just sitting there going okay i can do nothing yeah and you're so this stuck. allows a different route one of the things that i think runs through my head as a filmmaker is that entertainment practices revenue sharing with the creators right mm-hmm. and that's i think that's amazing you know, right up front, and please explain this in a little bit more detail when we come back. But you know what I want to do? I want to talk about you and your production background because I'm fascinated okay. by it. Get out the sweet tea. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk more about what you've done, and then we'll come back to entertainment in a minute. So, tell me about what you first did when you got out of school. I was I was pretty impressed with your first job after college. Well, my first job was actually when I was in school, so I was probably 15 when I got the opportunity to work in NFL game and I sat on the sidelines with what's called a parabell parabolic mic, which is that big, you know, plastic dome with a condenser mic in the middle. And I would just point it at this at the line of scrimmage and just in my headphones hear all the trash talking. Everybody would say, oh, this is amazing. I get paid for this. And um <laughs> You know, it was great to get you show up at like six in the morning for a six o'clock game. And, you know, this was back when stadiums weren't pre-wired like they are now. So, you you know, each truck I'd have, you know, we'd be up in the rafters pulling cord and long, you know, early crew call, long days. But, you know, get out of there at midnight. So you'd have, you know, an 18 hour day or so. And then I get a check in the mail a couple of weeks later. I'm like, I got paid three hundred and fifty dollars for one game. Are you kidding me? So that was I was obviously hooked just probably mostly from all the cussing that was going on in the line of scrimmage but i did that off and on for a few years i was lucky enough that and the reason i got the job was through my uncle who's a cinematographer and and news journalist sports journalist who worked for abc nbc fox sports and espn out on the east coast and he's he got me the the gig and his best friend was john saunders who was the the weekend sports anchor in Baltimore and went on to become one of the founding anchors at ESPN. So I grew up as a kid wanting to be John and and wanting to be my uncle. Who you know, basically all day long they hung out with athletes in professional settings and you know got paid to talk about and 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 you know capture sports moments. And you know as a kid I'd, I'd go visit them. You know. In the afternoon, I guess they'd just get off the golf course or something, and there'd be like Dick Vitale, Jim Valvano, John Saunders, and my uncle. And you know, I just thought that was normal. And then 
when I got a little older and I realized that my other friends hung out with the people on TV, I realized how much of a you know real opportunity my uncle had afforded me as a young kid and went on to, you know, went to a small school in Minnesota, studied film and broadcasting. And you know, while I was in school, got a job at ESPN radio, small local station, but, you know, we loved it because it broke into the national programming of Dan Patrick's radio show that it, we, we, I don't know, maybe a hundred, 150 mile radius. I think we broadcast that, but it was, it was our little fiefdom and it was fun because, you know, you know, having, you know, grown up my whole life, like a lot of people my age, hearing that sports center, that ESPN theme song. I, I remember the first time I was on air on the radio and I heard that dun on it, and I just froze. Uh, <laughs> just just completely froze. And I stuttered out of it and then they went okay. But um, it was <laughs> it's a Pavlovian. surreal moment. <laughs> it's Pavlovian, right? Oh, uh, it was so bad. Uh I uh it, it was the day this famous wide uh, world hall of fame wide receiver retired and I I I heard the I heard the the stinger and I you know I, I was Chris Carter retires today and I, I and I got through it, um, but I had all my college buddies meet me at the bar afterwards and they they had a round of drinks for me and they were like congratulations Andy and I was just um, I was happy they listened enough to make fun of me, but from there I went to an ABC affiliate in, in Minneapolis. And worked um, a lot of the, from a producing side, a lot of their sports programming and whatnot, and I had some opportunity to, to go back on air, and then uh, at the same time got involved with some entrepreneurial efforts and real estate and and whatnot. Bought a house and started, you know, settling down with who's now my wife, and you know, I didn't feel like moving up to you know northern Wisconsin and you know starting a, a TV station there, so. Coincidentally, I had a friend who was running a film festival and uh, asked me to come out, come to the festival and, and check it out and give my opinions. And I left one documentary that my wife and I were watching together, left that screening and I looked at her and said, I think I want to make movies. And she's like, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, she, you know, I, and I was like, I don't know, but I think this is what I want to do. And she's just saying, like, okay. And I called my buddy up and said, hey, I'll, I'll come work for you at the festival. And so he brought me on as a partner and um, really learned the industry from there. And a couple of years later, uh, one of these films that we ended up doing some marketing and distribution stuff for, because um, really started learning the business from the back end, from from the distribution side. We had a real wonderful awesome. relationship with some of the you know, showing my age uh, straight to DVD labels from the studios because we were located in Minneapolis, which happened to be the headquarters of Best Buy and Target. So we would coordinate the festival and their screening alongside their uh, street date, and they're they're dropping the DVDs. So give them a theatrical and a marketing bump before they would release the DVD. And it just it was a great mentorship, learning all that all of that behind it. But you know, one of the films we did some marketing and distribution for outside of the festival said, "Hey, you want to produce a movie?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I've never done that." And he's like, "Ah, it's okay. We'll figure it out." <laughs> and so we said yes, and it you know, turns out it was a big movie for a first-time producer, like a $10 million budget, and I had no idea what I was doing, but it was a really good film school. Um, <laughs> Tell us what movie that was. I ended up, it's a sad story, I ended up you know, developing and getting funding for that multiple times over, and it ended up litigious. As my lawyer said, uh, congratulations, you made it, you're suing somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they you know they say you haven't been successful in Hollywood 
until you've been sued or you have sued. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. It was, it, it, yeah, and I don't want to dive too deep into it. No. I just you know, my business partner and I decided to take the higher road, and we walked away rather than continue with the litigious. And at the advice of our attorney, said, "Hey, you guys got to open and shut case, but it'll take you three years and you know really drag you through hell." I'm happy to do it for you. It'll cost you half a million dollars. Um, and we said, you know what? I think we'll take your advice and just you know chalk this up as a learning experience. So. I did send the guy who screwed us over a, uh, a I re-gifted his Christmas gift to me, which was a book called Integrity. Um, oh, dear. And oh, dear. I had the portion of my contract in which he uh, breached, and I had that laminated into a uh, bookmark and sent that back to him for Christmas. And that was my that was my gift to that. And I washed my hands and uh, moved on to bigger, better things and, and, you know, I guess turned to the light, so to speak, and um, really got involved with... Uh, other productions, um, you know, whether it's financing, uh, distribute distribution, um, eventually got into some writing, uh, on my own. I haven't directed yet, but you know, I may get talked into it. Um, and in the meantime, you know, the festival, we moved online to create kind of a virtual festival and we accidentally, you know, stumbled into one of the first OTT platforms. And this was back in 2010. So we moved the festival online and then we started contacting all our other festival friends like Sundance, like Slam Dance Toronto and said, hey guys, we have this virtual festival for you. No longer are you limited to just the seats. They're like, nah, we can't do that. Now, fast forward to 2020, we were sitting there, man, if we could have only hung on, everybody would have been coming to us. But we had a really, you know, that experience of having an OTT platform and VOD platform before VOD was even a thing, um, was even a term. I mean, Netflix was still sending you two bills. It, it was just, we were really extremely early, but we learned a ton. And when I had the opportunity to, to partner with Jen on entertainment, I was like, this is everything that I wanted to do right. that we were too early to or underfunded or, you know, really... It, we're learning on the job, so to speak. And so it's kind of, for me, I look at it as a, having a second bite of the apple. So it's kind of an, an exciting spot for me. I think you just reminded me, or it kicked in, why I love the thought of entertainment so much. Because with what you just said, I did a study for a distribution client years ago, years ago, many years ago. And I did a lot of research and a lot of study on the future of distribution and where they should go as a company. And I suggested that that we were going to be distributing movies. And back then it would have been by satellite, which is sort of the the forerunner of of what we have now. And they thought they got the they got the report. They did pay me, but they said, you're nuts. We're never going to do this. This isn't mm-hmm. going to work. And they never hired me again. Wow. And you know, so when you're like you, a forward thinking person, and you've been in in the weeds with all of this, you can see where we're headed if you just lift your head up a little bit. But a lot of people don't do that. And I, I think what you have with entertainment that I love, it's it's the future is now. And some people are trying to do this online streaming, but they're not doing it the same way that you and Genevieve are. Yeah. I want to cover Echo Entertainment real quick. What are you doing with that? Is that active at the moment or are you pretty much dragged into entertainment? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Echo Entertainment is, it's active, but let's say it's stealth. 
it's a it's a film financing entity. So getting involved with different projects to 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 back them in in different capacities, whether it's a debt or an equity position. Because you know, similarly across my whole career, at a very young age, I didn't I didn't like being told no, I couldn't, or you know, saying hey, this won't work, and I'm just always would call bullshit. You know, let me create something that does, and you know, certainly never alone. You know, partners and whatnot. And you talk about this forward thinking, and part of this is just, you know, I grew up next to, and I, I didn't know until I was older, because they were just such a grounded family, but media moguls um, in, in this small river town in Minnesota. And you talked about the satellite. There was actually the family that launched the first satellites in space and created uh, USSB, which ended up being the wow. satellite network for DirecTV. So, I, you, I, you know, I would talk to them weekly, and they're the ones who gave me my first uh, TV job. Um, they own, I, I had no idea until I was older again that they own you know, 50 news stations throughout the country. They own Reels Channel. I think they're partners in Ovation. Um, just again, me, a media mogul family. They bought the first video camera. They bought the first colored TV camera this side of the Mississippi back in the, I think, in the 40s. So there's always been this innovation that I was uh, aware of. Um, and I, I don't think I was aware of it at the time, certainly, but I think having tangential exposure to that as at a young age, not knowing what it is, certainly. And then seeing even uh, my, from my uncle's perspective, the cameras and the crew, you know, that was probably seven people when I first started witnessing them, you know, now was, you know, when I was getting out of college was just him and a reporter and, you know, a, a little, you know, editing suite in the van or, and then even got it further and that way he just retired. But prior to his retirement was, a cell phone, and this is you know going you know out into the you know number three DNA, and but it was a cell phone, and he'd log it up to his. E- I mean, so that type of advancement was always there, and I'd always see that we're going somewhere for for entertainment. I think that what I like about it is it's not a insulated platform, and I and I'm insulated or vertically vertically integrated, like a Warner Brothers who's. There, or maybe Disney Plus. Let's let's rewind six months ago. How Warner Brothers and Disney Plus were is where vertically integrated. All their content was called back. They have all their IP. They're not really releasing it out in theater, whether or not COVID was a real excuse for that or not. Um, and they're putting it on their platform. That's what I mean by closed system. Right. Our system is open, meaning you don't have to have permission to get on it. You know, as a creator, and you have a project, and you have fans. You can come on, you can agree to the you know, uh, T's and C's of, of the site and set up your profile and put your your content on there and sell it however you you see fit. And I think, you know, that agnostic approach that says, hey, you know, we'll be your picks and shovels, if you will, you know, to allow you, we'll be your technology platform to allow you to disseminate your voice to the masses, however you see fit. You know, it's a really nice place to be because I, I think growing up, I just... And still today, I just don't like being told what to do and say, I can't do that. I can't do this. And I think nobody does, but. You and I are so much alike. You and I are so much alike. But there's so many uh, technological advances that allow us now to do that. And and that's what really entertainment speaks. And, you know, you you talked about, um, you mentioned something prior that reminded me the other kind of ethos behind entertainment. And, you know, our other co-founder, Mark. Sold his first film, and he's also attorney, um, but he sold his first film at AFM, and this is a decade or probably two decades ago, 
And, you know, the distributor hands in the contract and he's reviewing the contract. And um, she goes, you know, no, no, you're going to want an entertainment attorney to look through that. And he's like, oh, I am an attorney. And she rips the contract out of his hand. This is right in the, the lobby of Lowe's, rips it out of his hand, goes, oh, you'll never sign this. Has another contract that's pre-prepared and said, hey, here's here's the one that that you're if you're a lawyer, you'd really sign. And so that that ethos that Marx brings really matches up with everything I've always believed um, from the industry. Uh, and so when we talk about our distribution arm and the studio arm of, of, of entertainment, transparency, you really at the heart of it. Uh, and unfortunately, isn't uh, a legacy systems. I want to come back to that, but I also want to ask you, can you clarify, because I haven't been clear, who are the co-founders of entertainment? I keep talking about you and Genevieve because you're the ones that I've met. Who else yeah. is involved that we should know about? I want to give them kudos. Yeah, so Genevieve Tears is the CEO. Um, um, Mark Vedic, who I mentioned, he's a VP of uh, Business Affairs. He's also been my uh, business partner for more than a decade now. Um, and then Dan Ratner is our CTO. He's uh, probably why you don't hear from him because he's just a, a genius, a technological genius, and he's our CTO and founding partner. He's, it's, a, it's a fun team. We all kind of bring a different set of skills, and there's enough where we you know, really make a nice kind of familial type uh, mesh, but not too much that there's redundancy. You talk about, uh, or you were talking about integrity, and I think that is such an important part of why I've enjoyed meeting you all so much because it's all, it's out, out there in black and white. You can see the deal you have, you know, exactly what you've got. People can go, they can see the product. I mean, I have in the past recommended filmmakers to certain distributors and they've gotten all excited because the distributors have said, Oh, we want your film. And then they've, you know, they've complied. They've, done all of the pre-work that has to happen before they can get distributed, spent their own money on a lot of things. And then they get thrown into a pot with 200 other movies and sold in bulk and they never make any money. And and that happens more often than not, Uh, maybe not so prevalent now, but. No, it still is. I know I have a good idea what distributor probably is, but the lot act like that. Um, Even ones we're friends with, you know, we joke, we joke and say, Oh, and such could take this product and we just kind of laugh and goes, yeah, they'll, they'll screw us over though. Even though we're friends with it, <laughs> it's just, you know, we always, Mark and I have, have toiled around with this tool called affable scoundrels is, yeah. is a term in, cause you don't get stabbed in the back. And that's the difference with the entertainment industry. You kind of get stabbed right. And they're staring you in the face yeah, yeah. It and smiling. And you're supposed to smile back. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm in Hollywood. Yeah. Make it a little more. Um, but you know, again, the, Trying to change that? Um, No, you are changing it. Matter of fact, I thought that you guys have been really active for a long time because I've been looking at this since last year. Uh, I guess I've been fortunate to have seen it in its beta stages because we met, what, last a year ago, October or something. Um, And it's an amazing platform. So in layman's terms, for people who don't know anything about blockchain or because you mentioned you use the blockchain platform, can you explain to people what that is and how that works? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to put blockchain, just a database, It's it's a better database because it cannot be changed after the fact. So anything that's to it is locked in place by the 
chain in in you're in the next block in that chain um it's probably the easiest way to say it it's like accounting where there's a double ledger or you know they deposited here deposited there make sure it matches up and now that's locked and it can't ever be changed and why that's important to filmmakers is it's a transparent publicly viewable transaction that says oh 100 people paid 99 cents to rent this movie why is the distributing me you know only 40 did um so it's it's you know, it's clear data it's transparent data yeah so again the data gets locked in the chain because it's a transparent look into the success of the film of how many people have they rented it and making sure that that reporting is honest um even better there's a layer on top of that chain which allows for automatic payment so the moment somebody pays you let's just call it a dollar i went to film school not math um and they pay you a dollar and whatever splits you have agreed with you know whether it's your team or, or your company or for with entertainment perspective you know your the minute that dollar comes in it will go to your wallet and then the 15 cents that you know entertainment takes as a platform will go to our wallet but that's automated so converse to if you talk about the legacy systems most distribution outlets will pay you say quarterly but it may take nine months one to three quarters <laughs> to start yeah. those payments yeah if you if you see them <laughs> yeah right right and so those micro payments that are very costly in you know the world of a visa or mastercard perspective are are, are much cheaper and uh, give you the ability to again have those automatic payments within a blockchain that being said we also take you know just through stripe visa mastercard the reality is there's only 16 percent, i believe of americans have a crypto wallet we're marketing to the other 84 percent, and you know we really look at is it a web 2.5 play so let's let's build a bridge from where we were in the current system where facebook uh, well, it used to be Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram and the likes own everything, own all the data that you provide. Now we're Web3, where we want to go, where the users, the fans, the creators have all the power, have the data, it's your data, and also are able to profit off of that versus where it is right now, they're profiting off of your back. Is there, well, you know what's coming to mind? I'm, I know I'm sound distracted, but I'm thinking about one of my worst experiences with the distribution was during Sundance years ago, we were premiering Electric Horseman. Mm. Sidney Pollack was there and Robert Redford was there. Everybody was there. We had a few guests in the audience, but mostly sold tickets. But we were four-walling, which means we were renting the theater. And after the movie, I went back into the back and I talked to the manager to collect the proceeds. And he promptly told me that there weren't any that they had <laughs> comped all the tickets and I knew that wasn't true. So that is not as unusual as it seems. And, you know, I, I think I love the, the visibility and the fact that you can see what's happening with your money. You can see what's happening with your project. You can engage your own fans. You can run your own show. And I, I just love that because I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to be told what to do as well. Right. And, and the unique thing that we figured out, too, um, which if you've seen the news, the SEC is always coming out with these different rulings. And actually, they lost a big one yesterday. But um, 
we figured out a way to use the, you know, like I said, it's a Kickstarter-ish type of support system on the front end. We call it, mm-hmm. there, there are NFTs, but we call them tickets. They're tickets into the mm-hmm. collaboration of, mm-hmm. of the content you want to make. Um, you know, so a fan can buy a ticket into helping create this. Uh, we've actually figured out a way to not only support your favorite creator or get, you know, some collectibles, you know, script, poster, what have you, those type of things through our system, but also a way of, for fans to contribute to the making of the IP um, beyond monetarily actually participate in some form or fashion the creating of the IP and therefore having a legal right, um, you know, to have some residual share and revenue off of the, you know, the exploitation of and monetization of that IP in a legal way that isn't a security. You know, we're not selling securities, which is very unique and one of the first um, who've done it legally um, within, you know, within NFTs. We're excited about that. There's a lot of opportunity um, cause there's a lot of fans that, you know, we talk about like, yeah, lean back entertainment or lean forward entertainment. And I think there's a growing number of fans that do want to lean forward and be involved in, uh, you know, in some form of fashion. We're not saying take over the writer's room and <laughs> anything like that. Um, but really creating a pathway for fans to, you know, really partner with the creator and help them create their IP and make it a reality. I think it's wonderful. I, I'm not aware of what happened with the SEC yesterday. Can you tell us just briefly what that was? I was uh, well, I was uh, oblivious. I was in the editing bay <laughs> all day yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a there's a different ruling that goes one way or the other each week, it seems like right now, just because SEC's been gunning uh for everything. But they can't they lost a a uh, a, a lawsuit. Um, that was brought by a company called Grayscale, which was uh, wanting to sell an ETF, um, which right. is an exchange traded fund for Bitcoin, um, which SEC denied it wholeheartedly. And then um, uh, the appeals court um, sided with uh, Grayscale, which is a huge win because there are some precedents that that case will set, which I think will help um, the advancement of technology. Because all this stuff, you know, like, like you had said, hey, sit, talk in layman's terms. None of this is going to be great um, yet. I mean, we're really early. It's going to be great when you don't have to talk about it. Like, you don't talk about the internet. It's just the internet. Right. You know, I mean, I, days, uh, I still remember in debate in high school, and it would take forever. <laughs> but that was the internet. You know, you were just yeah. used to that. And you're just like, God, you take five, ten minutes for the thing to It <laughs> sometimes. Um but then we got the next browser, the Internet Explorer, Netscape came out, and all of a sudden it was just easy or AOL or all these things. So eventually we'll have that moment within Web3 where call it email or something that ubiquitous that's just easy. That'll happen where all this you know technical jargon and things that you have to do will go away and it'll just be a user, an easy user interface. We're not there yet giving the users and creators the control because they're paying for everything versus the platforms are just, you know, you know, taking currently taking all the money or making money like Facebook or Instagram off your actions and your interaction exactly. with their site and just selling it to God knows who. Yeah. 
No, I love that we're on the cusp of something really wonderful. Don't you wish you had kept, I don't know if you had one, but I remember I had Serena at ix.netcom.com. And I wish I had kept it just for just for a souvenir. <laughs> and then, of course, AOL went away. But no, you're right. I think uh, you're on to something. You're on to something wonderful. So explain to us the process. So pretend I have a film and mm-hmm. I would like to to put it on your platform. How does that work? It's as easy as signing up for any other website. So, I mean, it's like, again, I know we say kickstart a lot, but, you know, from the front end portion of it, our marketplace, um, you know, it's your typical two-sided marketplace. You got fans on one side and you have IP on the, or creators on the other, and that's the marketplace. So it's, it's just like any other marketplace website. You go in, you fill out a profile, you sign up. If you have a, a wallet, a crypto wallet, you can sign up with that. If you don't, you don't need one. You can sign up with email, just like you would any other site. And then, you know, it's populated. Hey, name of your film, all the all the demographic and meta data you'd expect that you would need to know for your project to load your project in a pl- on the platform. And, you know, whether it's images, trailers, what have you, telling your story, loading your team bios, all of that. It's just very normal. There's nothing different about that. So our, our goal again was to you know, get it a little further to that you know idea that I talked about of this no friction mm-hmm. user interface. Um, you know, if you use a crypto wallet, there's you know you have to you know sign here and people will understand how to do that. Um, but if you don't have it, you don't have to. That's the beauty of kind of like we're not forcing people to go, hey, get a you know, a MetaMask wallet or you know people probably listening maybe go what the hell's a MetaMask wallet or Coinbase. Um, you can just use your email. Um, and it's as simple as that, loading up your profile, setting up what your goals are, what you need to, what you want to do and what you want to offer your fans who choose to join your community and, and join you on this journey. I'm, I'm wondering about the post-production side of this. If you're uploading trailers and mm-hmm. movies or short films, what format would they be in like an H.264 or an MP4? Or... Perfectly fine. Okay. And just again you're you're loading up your profile page or your project page with everything you have to shine and 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 help your project sell so to speak or you know help your community or you know your future community come in and support you um on the back end it's really typical the deliverables that you know anybody um is delivered a film you know, we're going to give them the, the typical specs that they've seen before. Like I said, we're a bridge and we were talking about that bridge between web two versus web three and being that bridge right in the middle, bringing them over, say you're a creator on one of these, you know, social platforms from there over to long form storytelling that is successful and shorts are a great way to do it. Obviously Sundance has had a phenomenal um, platform for shorts within, and there's a lot of festivals out there, but we were looking at not only giving, you know, an opportunity for shorts to be viewed, but also monetize them. So we have a strategy that we're going to put together to be able to package these shorts together and then monetize them both on our platform, but as well as, um, you know, outside, uh, platforms as well that we distribute in partners we have, um, that we'll, we'll put, put on their platform as well. That's nice. A short film, you know, most goals of that filmmaker is not to make a lot of money on that film. If it's phenomenal, you hope you get a nomination or you get into a festival. Um, but it really is a calling card. 
there's so many really good shorts that really don't go anywhere. Um, so again, here's a home that there's no gatekeeper to, as long as it's not, you know, porn, hate, or, you know, overtly political, come on board, um, and do what you wish with it. And, and if you want, we can also, like you said, package it out and, and get it on other platforms like Tubi or some of these other, uh, Mm -hmm. platforms that we've partnered with. And again, just get it echo throughout the, (laughs) echo throughout your, your, your story. So. So um, I was going to ask you what type of project seems to be working the best in terms of involvement. Are they all different? I guess it depends on the fan base, doesn't it? Yeah, it really mm-hmm. does. Um, okay. It really does. We've had a, kind of a different pool of creators that come on. We've had these um, NFT projects were purely NFT projects, whether it was a documentary or a lot of them had this animated series. Um, crypto native folks that really don't know much about the entertainment world and they've come into our platform and those are interesting if they have a rabid fan base and rabid community that want to help support that and and the extent of the ip that they're a part of and get that into an animated series that has been a very successful one um and then you look at from a traditional filmmaker traditional storyteller coming and using our platform because they are sick of running up against, you know, the powers that be that the time it takes to get a project up. And they're like, I love this project. And I want to, I, I think there's an audience for it. Let me prove it. And, and that has shown to be a success as well. And then there's these newbies that are coming on too, and they're just ready to work. And that's kind of what our platform is, is okay. You don't want the middleman. You don't want the studio, which really is just a marketing company and exhibitor. Um, to take you know the majority, if not all, of the revenues and give you nothing, we get that we'd agree. But there's also responsibility on you because within that was marketing, um, you know, distribution you know, across the the whole life cycle. That now does kind of come back to you as the creator. So build your team, build your community. Um, we're trying to make that as automated as possible for you within it. Mm-hmm. So you cut out the middleman, but you gotta you gotta hustle. You gotta you gotta know how to market. Well, yeah, you just got to know it on market. I mean, it, obviously, it starts with a great story. All this stuff, technically aside, you, you know more than anybody. You have to have a great story. And, and that's at the heart of everything. But there's a lot of great stories out there that have been made into movies that nobody's heard of. And exactly. it, it comes to marketing. I mean, even and you've probably seen this in every uh, independent horror genre picture of the last 25 years, was listed a comp of Blair Witch. Um, but fail to mention that Blair Witch, while a great story, really took off because of the work. Uh, it, there's a firm in Minneapolis, Niemer Fieger, a marketing company, and I believe they were the ones that came up with the idea of this being this found footage and being a true story. So again, you have to have a great story, but you have to be able to put on both hats as a filmmaker as well as a marketing business person um, to kind of make this work, uh, which is great. Uh, some filmmakers don't want to, and and that's where it's like, then build your team. You know, you don't have to just go at it alone. Build your team and and fill it out with those other people, and then you can still kind of own your own thiefdom. Yeah, I think it would be important for people to think about if they're promoting their film. What do, what do they need? Get just literally get your computer, 
open up a folder, start moving stuff in there. Is it stills? Is it behind the scenes? Is it trailers? Is it the full feature? Is it a pilot? Uh, Right production notes, stories, all of the above, social media, um, designs, what's your branding? What is the, you know, what does everything look like? And think about that. That's why I was asking you about the format, because if you're moving things into one area and getting it kind of organized for, for this push for, you're still doing a push for distribution. It's just a different distributor, right? Entertainment is a different distributor, but you still have to get your ducks lined up. And so if if, uh, as little as I know about it, that would be the advice that I would give to people. Think about what you have and where you want to go with it and who you want to reach. Start building your audience right from the very beginning. And that's the hardest. But that's the hardest for us because um, and I'm speaking as an independent filmmaker now. You know, we're so busy getting our projects made. And and working on all of that, that we don't think long term, but it really when you think about it, it doesn't take that much more effort to start thinking about the marketing ahead of time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I argue you that you need to think about distribution before you say action. I mean, it really should be part of your your plan from the get go. And, you know, it just okay. I bring up Blair Witch again. You know, they started. You know, even before they started their marketing efforts, they they built websites and built this ethos within and and placed blog articles about Blair Witch and this person going missing or this being found or in these artifacts. So they started you know, sprinkling breadcrumbs along, and there's a lot to learn about that marketing. And granted, there was a large capital infusion from I think it was Warner Brothers that that took that out. I may be wrong, but um, there, there was obviously was a big marketing budget, but there's still a case to be said because right now you could go onto a platform and build a website in 10 minutes. It doesn't take weeks and weeks and weeks that it used to back in, what was that, 99 uh, when that movie came out or, or somewhere in there. Um, it, it's just there's technologies there for you to utilize. Um, and again, it just, it, all things are pointing to the power being more in the hands of the creator and for them to be able to have the ability to, to do with their property what they choose. Because you're setting your own standards, you're setting your own budgets, you're setting everything yourself, and you're not you know, giving it over to a distributor to say, hey, you know, it'll sit on the shelves till I think it might you know, have a place or like you said, get packaged with 200 properties and get onto a couple platforms. I'm glad you're bringing Blair Witch up because that's a that's a typical example of in the old days, we used to say, make sure you get a gross deal. Right. As a filmmaker, see if you can get a gross deal. But that was only being handed out to major actors, major producers, major directors. So the little people that had five percent of the net never saw a penny. Um, And I did sign a gross deal on my first picture, though. Um, How did you do I, that? Okay, come on. <laughs> Get out some I, sweet tea. <laughs> <laughs> I did sign a gross deal. And then um, our executive producer uh, on that picture um, was one of the only people alive with two films in the top 50 AFI. So he's seen a thing or two, done a thing or two. Um, and he said exactly what you said. He goes, how the hell did you? get a gross deal yeah. like i don't know i just i just presented the contract and it got signed he's like well we're renegotiating 
I can say my first film was a gross deal. Did not collect on it, but I did sign that. There you go. But sometimes those those deals that go awry are the best learning experiences we can have because mm-hmm. you remember what happened and you're never going to do that again, right? And uh, and there we go. I'm coming back to entertainment because everything is out there for the filmmakers to see what's going on. They know what money's coming in. They know what money's going out. I like that idea. I would rather have less, but know that it's really what's there than to be wondering about whether or not the check's going to come or not going right. to come. The other thing that's good about it is, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but there are no worldwide, there are no boundaries. This is worldwide. So if you're on the internet on entertainment, you don't have those geographical boundaries that you have to go through with the typical distribution deal, right? No, you don't have to, but we we do have the ability to. Uh, if you want to. Yeah, to to geocache or, you know, geoblock areas that, you know, you have if pre-sold territories, that's fine. You know, it's not a problem. So we, we, we account for that from a platform standpoint to allow you to do it. But, you know, similarly, again, there are no limitations if you don't if you don't have to have them. And again, if they are a more established film and they're able to, you know, pre-sell some territories, we want to be able to, you know, block those. This is fun. It's fun. It's always nice talking with you. What have I not asked you that you think our audience needs to hear about what you have? And uh, let's tell them where to go on the internet to find you. Gosh, uh, it's a good question. I I don't know. I mean, honestly, entertainment has been you know probably the biggest focus right now. So entertainment.com. Um, if you have a project that you're looking to you know create a fan uh, fandom and community around to help you get your story told you know reach out and, you know see what we can do it's wonderful well i encourage you guys to check this out you need to be aware of what's happening because things are moving fast in the industry in all aspects of the industry aj thank you for being here with us today he's aj salman i'm serena catania You've been listening to OWC Radio. And remember what I tell you guys every time, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. Thank you for listening.